Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Hey, out there, rock and rollers, welcome to the 150th episode of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, and your 150th episode is brought to you by me, your host, Mac B, the wolf, who has been here for every single show, and of course, I will be joined by my partner in crime after all these years, former college roommate, Gary Action Jackson coming from the East Coast of the United States. And I think this is just a good time to pause here and thank everyone who listens out there for helping us get to our 150th episode. It's been a lot of fun for us. It's really born out of the pandemic. I was living in London, Jackson living in the U.S., and we were worried about each other, wanted to connect. And then we started checking in on each other regularly, then started giving each other homework on records that we wanted each other to listen to or things that we discovered and wanted to share with each other. And I realized, hey, this would be a great podcast and it would be something to keep me sane during this pandemic. So we started there. And then, of course, I moved to the Netherlands for a while. Now I'm back in the USA and we've grown to just a couple of guys talking about records or artists that we loved now having great guests on being part of the Pantheon podcast network of about a hundred different shows and really getting to meet some folks that we admire. And this show is going to be really special for us because today we're talking to someone who has made dozens of records over the years, someone we used to watch on MTV back in the day and someone whose career I have followed a great deal kind of first came in in 1988 via MTV, and it just blossomed from there. I'm talking about Steve Kilby, who is the lead singer, bass player, founder, and lead songwriter of The Church, who many of you will remember from the 80s, their big hit, Under the Milky Way, which has been featured in movies like Donnie Darko. It was their biggest single in the United States. We, of course, found them via MTV. It was on the album Starfish, and then from there, I really started to follow their career and became really keen on them actually got to meet them once a few years back, which was really cool while they were opening for the psychedelic furs and the church are back in America for the second time this year to promote their new album, Hypnogog. And Steve's going to talk to us all about that, but I think you'll find Steve to be very engaging. He's got a lot of hilarious stories. He is opinionated. He will tell you what he thinks. He doesn't just dress it up because it's an interview. He'll tell you exactly what he thinks. And talk about touring, talk about hits, the pluses and minuses of having big hits. We'll tell a story about being accosted backstage for not playing one of his big hits. Talk about videos, being on MTV, all sorts of fun stuff. It's a really enjoyable interview. I think it's probably the best that we've done. And we're just so proud to have him on our 150th episode. 
Before we get to Steve, a couple little bits of business. Like I mentioned, we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network. hundred different shows, music related. There's something in there for everybody. Go to PantheonPodcast.com or follow at Pantheon Pods to learn more about all the great shows on there. And of course, we have to thank our sponsor, RareVinyl.com. Who've been sponsoring us for a while, guys, but they've been in business for 40 years. And they've got a stellar reputation within the industry for procuring high-quality LPs and other music-related collectibles, CDs, singles, posters, tour programs, point-of-sale merchandise, display items, whatever it might be. You can find all sorts of stuff with over a quarter of a million items in stock, and they ship all over the world. So for your Australians, you're looking for something special that you can't find anywhere, go to rarevinyl.com, use the code UGLY, you can save 10% off your orders. Now, it's a one-time code, so don't just buy one CD single Go find a few things or go find something that's really rare and hard to find and get that shipped to you wherever you are in the world. And we thank the folks at rarevinyl.com for believing in us and for sponsoring us for the last year and a half or so. Now back to Steve Kilby. Yes, Starfish kind of catapulted them to success in America, but they had big songs in their native Australia that were big hits. Things like Unguarded Moment or Tantalized, which is off my favorite of their albums, Heyday. And in their new set, they're playing some of those again. Not to mention the stuff from Starfish and a lot of stuff from their great new album, Hypnogog. So I know you're going to love this. Jax and I are chuffed and proud to welcome Steve Kilby to the 150th episode of The Wolf. Right, but so before we talk to Steve, I mean, look, I came to the church through 120 minutes on MTV. I thought it was cool that, you know, I just I just knew that the bullet boys weren't the future of rock and roll. <laughs> I, I just knew that color me bad weren't going to be around for 40 years. And I'm like, you know, there's got to be other music out there that I'm missing. Mm-hmm. And so. A friend of mine got me into 120 Minutes where you could listen to alternative or college music radio was kind of the way they sold it back then. You had to market it some way. And that's how I found The Church because Under the Milky Way from Starfish was getting a lot of airtime there. And then eventually Reptile did as well. And then the subsequent album, Gold Afternoon Fix, Metropolis did as well. So I didn't know anything about them until then. Is it the same for you, or did you even come to them later than that? I, I had no idea who they were. You had you had Starfish when we moved in. Yeah, I had it on cassette. Like, yeah. yeah, we may and have listened to said, it in the car. <laughs> probably, yeah. And, and it was one of those ones where it just that song once it once it grabs you, it's there. You've never I'd never heard it before, but it's just. It's it's just catchy enough. It's just rocking enough where it it hooks into you. But it's not like you said. It's not the Bullet Boys. It's not it's not cheesy. It's just it's just haunting. And to this day, I hear that, and bam, I'm right back at Rex Beach again. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. You know, and it is you know, a lot of times you have one song that makes you more famous that that everybody remembers, and maybe it's not indicative mm-hmm. of who you really are. But honestly, the mood. And the temperature of that song and the style is very church. I mean, it's it's atmospheric. It's a little psychedelic, but it's also very guitar driven, not just like AAB blues, not just like double guitar hard rock, but they have two guitars and that's their signature sound. It's just it's a little more ambient. It's not always up in your face. It's very mm-hmm. melodic. And Steve Kilby is a great songwriter. 
a prolific it, songwriter. Right. Yeah. I mean, and we were talking earlier. I mean, what did you say? He'd written like two, he's written like 2000 songs. Yeah. I mean, I think he's published over a thousand and then, you know, he's got a thousand more that he just hasn't, you know, he's, he's just got to be an open channel to the muse when it comes in the room. Mm, yeah. That, that is exactly 1000 more than I've uh, <laughs> published and 2000 more than I have ever written or will ever write. So yeah, that that's always my, I'm just in awe of somebody like that, who it's just, it's just always running through your head, you know, oh, you know, that could be something. Let me write that down. Just the way that you put, you know, lyrics together and then you find the music to go with it or vice versa. I don't know. Maybe you have the, maybe you kind of have the music first and then words come to you. I don't know, but either way, I can't do it, and I am I am definitely in awe of some uh, people that can. And for someone who's written so many songs, to not be that well-known in America, I'm like, well, look, if, if we can help more people catch on to the church, I'd love to have them on the show. And mm-hmm. it turns out that they've released, what was it, their 25th album or something like that earlier this year, the Hypnogog. They already did a tour of America in the early spring. They went back to their native Australia and did some touring there. And now they're back for the second leg of the tour. So I said, hey, Steve, I'm a huge fan. I've got a lot of your records. Mm -hmm. Why don't you come on and tell us about the new one? Let's help promote this tour and help get more people out to see you. So he said, okay. (laughs) I know you've been trying for a while. And when he came back with, okay, it was like, wait, wait, read that again. He really just say, okay, like he's going to do it. Can't believe it. Yeah, and what's great is as you kind of go through the catalog, whether you go wherever you come in, and obviously for me it was Starfish, whether you go back to more of the early stuff or you follow from there and go into the different incarnations of the band, the different eras, it still always sounds like the church. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is because of Kilby's voice, of course. He's the vocalist and the, the main songwriter. And so it always sounds like the church, even though the albums are different and they have different themes and they're going through different things at different stages of their lives. You pick any of them out and you pop it on. It could be from this year. It could be from 10 years ago, 20, 30 years ago. It always sounds like the church. And it's interesting too, because I would say that they're probably contemporaries of maybe like REM here in the United States yeah. mm-hmm. and they're not around anymore. They're not writing songs. They're not, they just decided that that was it. They were done. But you know, like you said, Steve's still out there. He's got, he's still got more songs to sing and it obviously enjoys being out there touring. So good for him. Yeah. I mean that, that's the impressive thing. He's close to 70 years old with all that songwriting. And he's had a prolific solo career and he's mm-hmm. got a record label. He's written books. He's done collaborations with other people. He doesn't have to do this necessarily for a living, mm-hmm. but he has to because that's who he is. Right. And and that's and that's the that's the cool part is, you know, somebody still who still has the fire, still has the drive to, I mean, haul himself all the way from Australia to the United States to it's not like he lives in California or anything. I mean, he is a he's an Australian citizen who makes his way all over the world to still perform. Well, it's interesting. He did live in a, in, in L.A., I think, for a little bit, but I don't think he liked it. I mean, yeah. I, I, and the thing is, the story about Starfish is they came, they recorded the Wadi Wachtel, but 
they didn't like LA. And I can mm. understand that in like late 80s LA with all that hair metal going on, not to mention all the violence and having to drive, you know, two hours <laughs> to, to go 10 miles or whatever, you know, it, it, it wouldn't be from a bunch of happy psychedelic kids from Australia. Mm. But out of that came the album that got them the most recognition. And I guarantee you that on people who are going to see them on this tour in America, 95% or more, the first time they hired the church was from Starfish. Mm. So you can't, it can't be all bad, right? Right. But I wonder too, when they came to the United States and especially LA, like, did they have a certain image in their mind? Like, was, did they think this was going to be like the, you know, the hippy dippy sixties doors, mm-hmm. LA woman, LA. And then you get here and you're like, ew, this yeah. isn't what I thought it was before. This place is horrible. Yeah. This is like the worst place you could possibly be. <laughs> yeah. But then what is it like now <laughs> versus 1988? I mean, as right. nasty as LA was, back then with everything that's gone on especially the last five years i wouldn't go to la on a bet man mm, yeah I, I don't uh i mean i've seen i haven't been there in quite some time but i've seen you know video there's not really a whole lot going on apparently a lot of stuff is closed downtown so closed there's you, homeless people everywhere yeah people are leaving the state and you've got amazing beaches but nobody can afford to live on them unless they're <laughs> you know <laughs> Taylor Swift or whatever. So, and she's too busy working to enjoy it. So, I mean, yeah, it's that's why I wanted to talk to him about the Hypnogog mm-hmm. and their legacy as a band. You know, I mean, a, a lot of people after 40 years never would have made it 40 years. A, B, they're like, okay, let's wrap it up. It's like, nope, we're going to make another new album and then we're going to tour on it and we're going to come to the United States a couple of times. That's pretty ballsy. And not only not only an album, but I mean, there's two different versions of this. There's the the regular and then the deluxe. The deluxe version is like an hour and a half long. This is a this is a there's a lot going on on this record. He's got a lot of new material here. So not just a quick, you know, 35, 40 minute in and out. Right. No, I mean, that's he's prolific in all sorts of ways. So but I mean, that was the impact of MTV in our lives. Right. I mean, the mm-hmm. MTV generation, it wasn't just those first few years, 81, 82, 83. By 1988, when we're in high school, it's part of our lives. It's like, well, of course, I watched MTV for an hour once I got a chance today. Or, you know, it, yeah. I, of course, I watched MTV news to see what was going on today. Right. Mm-hmm. I had to see what Kurt Loder had to say. Well, and especially too uh, when they started to branch out into to those other deals like like uh, 120 minutes like headbangers ball because it gave you a chance to see stuff that was not in the regular heavy duty rotation so that yeah then you were looking forward to not only mtv but that show that you wanted to watch because you wanted to hear something new and you wanted to be the the person that came to school and was like well let me tell you about this band that no one's heard of but this guy here exactly you know and mtv was smart i mean look a random video doesn't get much of a rating right Mm. but if you can put them together in like an hour or two hours like okay this is just this genre and we don't play it all day long so this is just this then you can sell that you know it's like or we're going to do the Mm. news at this point or we're going to have behind the music or whatever it was they kind of figured it out now of course mtv now is a travesty it's like you know 16 and pregnant it's like, jesus who's watching this <laughs> and like who wants to be on the show it's like oh i'll get pregnant so i can get on 16 and pregnant I'm like no 
Don't get pregnant. Not at 16. You don't need to do that. You know, it, it's and the odds of you getting on the show are bad. And then even if you're on, I mean, who's the most successful person in the history of 16 and pregnant? The girl who went on to do porn? You know, don't be that girl. Trust me. You don't want to do that. So I, I, I don't know. It, it, it's disappointing. I mean, I remember eventually in the 90s, late 90s and the 2000s, I went away from MTV mm-hmm. and went to VH1. Because they played stuff yeah. by artists who write their music and play instruments. It wasn't just rap and boy bands and girl bands. It was like, oh, yeah, here's some actual rock music for you. And then it got even better when they did VH1 Classic. Because then that was all the stuff that you wanted to see. And I still love VH1 Classic to this day. And I guarantee you, you could see Under the Milky Way on VH1 Classic one night. A private consultation Under the Milky Way Hi, this is Gary Kemp. And this is Guy Pratt. And you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. (laughs) Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new Factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, oh yeah. 
And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I saw all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Here comes Steve right here. Hello, Yo. Steve. Hello, mate. How are you? Very well. How are you this afternoon? I'm pretty laid back. I'm sitting here in a garden in California where my daughter's garden is having a day off. So I'm pretty laid back. Well, good. Good to hear that. Thank you so much for being on The Ugly American Werewolf. I'm Mac, and that's, that's Gary Action Jackson on the other side of the screen there. Okay. Where are you guys? I am in Louisville, Kentucky, where I saw you play with the Psychedelic Furs about seven years ago. Jackson ah, yeah. is just north of Jacksonville, Florida in Georgia. Correct. Wow. Nice and, part of the world, guys. And for you as well. It's beautiful where you are. Uh, congrats to your daughter for living in such a beautiful place. Yeah. Oh, hi. Oh, oh hi. hi. Yeah. Very nice. Well, so so tell me, you're back for the second leg of the U.S. Hypnogog Tour. You've done a couple of dates so far. How's it been going down so far? Well, they've all been really, they've all been very different. The first one was more of a regular kind of gig at the Neptune Theater in Seattle. Mm -hmm. That was a great night. And then the next day we did KEXP, or did, was it KCR? No, it was KEXP in Seattle. And mm -hmm. then we did, and then we did a festival in san francisco called something like not necessarily bluegrass or okay something like that and and it was like a free festival and we played there and then the night after that we played a tiny little place as part of the sweetwater festival in mill valley just outside san francisco and then last night we played a kind of a i don't know sort of this new sort of venue type of venue i don't know how to describe it anyway that was in um ventura and yeah they've all been pretty good they're all very different as a sort of a every night there's a new kind of things to every time you play there's new challenges and new advantages everywhere we just sort of i'm happy i'm happy we can get up at like nine in the morning and can go into <laughs> a radio station and play a nice set yeah that's a good thing yeah it doesn't i mean Anyone can go on at 11 o'clock a night on a Saturday night in a big place and be good. But, you know, nine o'clock on a, on, a, on a sort of morning to turn up and set up and play and still sound pretty good. I was, I was really impressed that we could do that. Well, good for you. And I'm sorry that uh, we're missing that. But I, I'm, I'm sure folks in those markets are psyched to be able to hear you guys do that. That's pretty amazing. Now, you've, 
you've kind of since the last time you were here i know you've played some gigs in australia it looks like you've extended the set a little bit brought back maybe a few classics from over the years as well as some more new songs and and you kind of extended it maybe put a little break in the middle what was the thought behind that you just want to uh break out some more of the old ones or, or make sure we hear no, more I, of the new ones uh, i'm really conflicted over all of this i it's a you know it's i mean it's only rock and roll it's only pop music and i'm just a singer and i've just got a band <laughs> but the whole thing of you know where which songs to play and the old oh. ones and the new ones it's sort of like slightly controversial for me because um i'm really tired of some of those old ones and um sure in australia especially there's a couple of old ones they really want to hear and i sort of begrudgingly do them but right. i'm and one of them made its way back into the set here again because the rest of the band wanted to do it i just i just don't really want to dwell on the past it's sort of like i, I think of back to when i wrote those songs and when we were playing them there's probably somebody in the audience yelling out for something else. It's always, there's always a sort of dissatisfaction with whatever you're sort of doing at the time. There's, or people stand in the audience yelling out for Under the Milky Way after about three songs. Like, oh, Under uh, the Milky Way. Goodness. It's sort of, yeah. I don't know. Whatever I do, I sort of get into trouble. <laughs> I feel like I, I, if, I, if I really had my own way, you know, this set, this set's we're doing now i'm pretty happy with there's a couple i wouldn't be doing but other than that i think it's a good compromise there's a dog here and it's having a really weird relationship with this rock <laughs> oh, it's goodness. got this great rock it's it's this like it's this little french bulldog dog okay and it, it's found this rock it's found this big flat rock it sort of looks like a turtle or a tortoise but it isn't <laughs> and it's kind of it's it's sort of attacking it and sort of trying to e either eat it or have sex with it <laughs> or something yeah, it's probably getting older. I have filmed it. I filmed it before. My daughter's come out now trying to get him inside because it's, <laughs> it's disturbing my interview. Um, but that's rock and roll, folks. That is, and that's um, why we love it. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I have a feeling I know what song you're talking about there, uh, an early song. But yeah, you've never really let any grass grow under your feet, Steve. I mean, what is this, your 25th album with the church and more than a dozen solo albums? So I hear you. You don't want to just be stuck in the past. You've got this great new album. Let's go out and play it. But you know, sometimes people want to hear something that got them in. I right? do. Yeah. I do under I understand how it all works. Believe me, I really do. Um, and that's why that's why we that's why you have a sort of a compromise. It's frustrating when the I'm just over that one particular song. It meant so much. And in Australia, it, it became, I, ha, I was wrestled with that because people got so angry if we didn't play it. Mm. And I famously tell this story about one, one night in 1981. 1981 in Australia in the wrong venue, that was like the fucking Wild West. Let me I, tell you. I bet. You know, it was 1981. It doesn't sound that long ago, but things were a lot different. And we, we played this town in Australia and I said to the band, I don't want to fucking play that song tonight. Mm -hmm. And they went, yeah, let's not play it. So we didn't play it. And our dressing room was actually over the crowd and we finished the show and went upstairs. And there was like a riot going on. Really? And the manager came in. The manager came in and he said, mate, you better go down there. He said, I don't know what they want, but you better go down there and give it to them. <laughs> and we did. And it was like one of these things like, if you didn't do it, I don't know what was going to happen if we didn't play it. There was, gonna, there was literally going to be a riot, and they're probably going to come in after me with torches and pitchforks. 
So it's sort of strange because, and I thought all our songs sounded the same anyway, so I couldn't sort of work out why um, that one had such a huge, it, it was such a huge disproportionate hit. And then the next song and, or the song before it and the song after it, which wasn't really that different, right. they didn't like. So I, I don't know, it's sort of, um, I've always had this sort of difficult relationship with it. And I, I was, I had banished it and gotten rid of it and everybody knew I wasn't going to play it. In an unguarded moment In an unguarded moment one night i played in a town called wollongong back about say 20 years ago we okay. played an acoustic gig we played an acoustic gig and there were these two aussie women standing there front going moment. and you know i mean i like to fancy myself as more than just a guy who wrote a song you, you know a long time ago and you know have written all these other songs and done all this other stuff and i play and got a moment hmm. anyway we didn't play it. The more they said it, the more I was determined I was not going to play it. Sure. I came off stage. I'm standing there in my undies getting changed out of my sweaty clothes. And these two women burst in, what? knocked the bouncers out the way. And <laughs> column, they grabbed me and they're going, we told you to play Ungar a moment. Oh You're going to get back out there and play it. You see, so I have this complicated, that's just one. I could sit here and rattle off things about Ungar moment, anecdotes that would surprise and frighten you. So I have no doubt. I have this complicated relationship. I feel every time I play it, I'm like I'm sort of taking this easy way out. I don't I don't really want to, you know. So it's it's very after all this time after 43 years, it's I have very complex relationship with my with my past and these old songs. And yes, it's back in the set, and um, it, we're playing it in America on this tour and we played in australia and there you go that's that's the power of populism there you go but, but it has to it has to make you feel good somewhere even though you you said you've got you know, you had these relationships with the song that you created it doesn't some... it doesn't it Does really it? doesn't okay it's like no it doesn't it's like imagine one day you take three minutes out of your life and you create some little thing i've done this with my family make up a little song in three minutes and all the kids like to sing it imagine that that becomes a pop song and you write this song um and you and it sort of becomes a big hit and then that's and then suddenly that's it it's like that's the cutoff point and that's all people want to know about and mm -hmm. think about and talk about and 43 years later you're, <laughs> you're there all the gigs i've done all the all the records I've made, all the things I've seen and heard and all the experiences. And then that's still being dragged back to that three minutes in 1980 when you sat down and knocked out a bit of a tune, you know, it's all yeah. like, I should be, no, I should be grateful. And I, I, I am, this is how complicated it is. I am, I am simultan simultaneously grateful and yet I'm also resentful. <laughs> and those two things produce this unfortunate feeling inside me. I just want to go, mm. ah, you know what I mean? Which I, I never foresaw that. When I first picked up a bass guitar, if someone had told me that I would one day write a song that people would want to hear, that would have made my day. And I would have gone, wow, I don't care what that song is. Sure. I'll be happy to play it forever. But having had it happen, and particularly something about that song was so 
Aussies, you know, it's like, mm. Anger mm. moment. That was <laughs> never my intention to write that sort of thing, you know. Mm. So that, that, that just gives you a brief insight. I should see a therapist about this song. <laughs> just I Maybe. talk about this song every fucking time I see them. <laughs> It's worse than an ex-girlfriend. But that, but that brings up that brings up a good point too, though. I mean, it's your show. You don't you don't owe anybody anything. You go out there and well, I kind do of, what you yeah, want to do. Well, that's but look, there's nothing. In, the world isn't black and white. It is mm-hmm. my show, but I do owe them. I think there's a. It's like if if you pay say five hundred bucks to go and see the Rolling Stones. Mm. On one level, you could say they don't owe me anything, and you'd be yeah. right. If they wanted to come on and, say, play around with some sort of jazz sketches they just composed and came mm. on and, you know, and, and sort mm. of poetry and a little bit of... They could say, we don't owe you anything. We can do whatever. But there's an implied contract. Mm-hmm. There's an implied mm. thing when, when, you buy, when you buy a ticket to see somebody, there's a sort of a... There's a general expectation of what you will get. And especially in the days of the internet, Maybe not so much once upon a time. If King Crimson was coming to town mm. in, say, 1974, you didn't know what the fuck they were going to do. Nope. <laughs> you know, you had no idea. But these days, everybody knows what everybody's... You could find out whoever whoever you like from, I don't know, from Neil Young all the way down to whoever's playing at the local beer barn, you can find out pretty much what they're going to be playing and, and you sort of, you have your sort of expectations of what they do. So really a responsible person, you sort of have to take that into some kind of account. And I really agonize over all of this stuff. You know, to me it isn't, although I might go, no, I'm not going to play it. That'll show them. I'm really deep inside. I'm I'm arguing myself and going, really? Are you, are you really going to be that? You know, you're going to really be that much of a curmudgeon to not play this fucking song four minutes out of your life. What right. will it hurt you? And, you know, I, and so it goes on and on and becomes more and more like a snowball rolling down a hill. The whole thing is coated in this massive contentiousness for me. I, I don't really know. I've, I've lost I've lost my moral compass on what I should be doing. And I swing backwards and forwards between I'm never going to play it to. Man, I've got to play it. See, right. so you you got a lot more than you ever expected with this question, didn't you? It's <laughs> awesome. Thank you yeah. so much. Yeah, we love it. But let's spend a little bit of time on the new album, on the Hypnogog, which which we really like a lot. And apparently, you've just released a deluxe version, which has another six songs. So now you've got like an hour and a half of new music here, Steve. Well, this is kind of confusing. We made. A deluxe, a digital deluxe, which I'd never heard of. Okay. We got some new managers. We got some new managers, and they said, for your American tour in the fall, wouldn't it be great to have a digital version, digital deluxe? And I said, what's that? And they mm. said, we put six new tracks on on it. And and they said, have you got six new tracks? And we said, we've got three new tracks, and we'll go in and make three more tracks to make it six. And then when we actually went in, we came up with um we came up with um twelve new tracks. Wow. So. So that is now, controversially enough, on for a, a few people on our fan pages, that is only available at the moment. You can buy a complete CD of which has the digital deluxe extra tracks plus a whole bunch of new tracks. That's all to do with the Hypnagogue. It's like all. It's like fleshing out the story of the Hypnagogue. It's available only at our gigs in a kind of a, an attempt to get people to, you know, create a sort of a, you know, I got this at the gig 
I think that's, a, I know once upon a time I would have thought that was exciting if I went to a gig and there was an item there I could only get at the gig. Once upon well, a time. Well, I'm a sucker for the poster. Are, yeah. <laughs> the poster or, from the show, because yeah, like, yeah, you can only yeah, get it there, yeah, yes. I have to have it, yes. Yeah, well, anyway, so so now there's the Hypnagogue and then there's another complete CD called Eros Zeta and the Perfume Guitars, which are songs, are sort of songs within the songs of the hypnagogue it's sort of fleshing out the life of the guy who was the hero of the hypnagogue he was allegedly a singer and had a band and so <laughs> now we've made the record of what he might have sounded like you know so it's a sort of it's really just a bunch of new rock and roll songs but it has a bit of a story to it <laughs> Well, and I'm sure I will be picking it up when I see you at, in Covington, Kentucky at the Madison Theater here in a little bit more than a week. And Jackson, you've got to go see him at Ponte Vedra not too long after that and pick that up as well. I just saw that come up. Yes, I will be getting my tickets very soon for the show in, uh, in Ponte Vedra. That's good. Now, so here, maybe this is another sole point that we will uncover here because we okay. are collectors. And like you say, you've done, what, 25 or so original albums of amazing music it's more than can i even do you want me to be really give you the real pedantic answer to that absolutely it's actually a lot it's nobody knows how which how how many albums to count and they don't know because there are records that didn't come out in some places there were eps that put together there's acoustic reinterpretations there's an album of our favorite covers there's albums of rarities that only we put out Mm mm-hmm in reality, in reality, the church has put out something more like 35 or 36 complete works. Right. Not but 26, you, but 36, yeah. But you haven't put out very many live albums. Of course, there's the no. one you've done, uh, This Is Brilliant, you know, the one you did uh, at the uh, Opera House with the orchestra. Yes. On DVD and CD. Love this. It's wonderful. You, you did release one on digital download only that I think was from the Starfish Tour live in New York several years back, but you've never really put out many live albums. Why is that? No. And is there any desire to? Um, no, not from me. Okay. I, I sort of feel like, I feel like live albums are never, I, in, my own, in my own personal world, I like the real album better than the live album. There are a few really good live albums. Sure. Um, again, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of um, Get Your Ya Ya's album, mm. which was, I, I fucking love that album. Um, we, lo- we love the I Stones, found yeah. something. I found something on that that wasn't on their albums. I don't know. I really just, I just really liked it. I like, I that became the real album to me. Tell me another live album I should love. Oh, I don't know. Um, Rust, live, live Rust by, yeah, Who Live at Leeds, Live Rust by Neil Young. All the world's a stage. Okay, there are, okay. Neil Young, the Neil Young one, that was, um, that was such an that was such an important change for him. It needed it needed to be documented, and I think live was the way. You know that this new approach that he had, this sort of especially on that you know that one song, "Hey Hey," mm-hmm. the 
that huge da, 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 da. Yeah, it's great. like fucking it's like hall of the mountain kings or something like i think that deserved to be documented but i think live albums that are just how a ba- band sounds that if i was really massively reinterpreting something or rediscovering it and doing something with it live that couldn't be captured in the studio i think i i it, you know, I, w- I ne- don't say no to it, but I, it's just not my favorite thing. I, I sort of, I like more what you can do with the studio, and um, that's how I sort of want my songs to be remembered, rather than the sort, the sort of what might happen, you know, on a, on on any a given night, night somewhere yeah. recorded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's, it's interesting you say that because on this new record, it does sound very layered. There's a lot of stuff going on, and the more that you listen to it, the more you can kind of pick up other stuff going on. So I, th- I think you're, you did a lot of stuff in the studio to, to bring this new record together. This record, was, this record was very worked and worked and worked on, and I worked on it, on, on it myself a lot harder and a lot more, and I got in, a lot more involved in it than I had done for a long time. Once upon a time, I was obsessive about records. I didn't care who the producer was. You know, whoever it was, I was like in there having my say all the time, questioning, coming in on the mixes, listening. If not there for the guitar overdubs, I certainly would have a lot to say the next day. And keyboards, things, and I, I, I had a lot to do with it. And then as things wore on and I sort of had personal problems and struggles, I kind of abdicated from that Mm -hmm. and I drifted away and I just became the singer and bass player. Mm -hmm. Still involved, not so involved in in the recording and the mixing and which takes and not playing so much keyboards and stuff. I don't know, I just sort of gradually became disenfranchised from that. And then on this record, because of COVID and everything else, I wasn't even supposed to be where I was, but I was going there anyway. Everybody was supposed to stay home unless you had some urgent business. My urgent business was to make this record. (laughs) I was driving around and I ended up in a studio on my own, no other members of the band there. And I sort of like, I started doing what I used to do with when i wasn't in the democratic situation and everything to me is so um there's such a duality of everything i love the democratic situation i love having musicians and collaborating with them and having them be able to say to me hey you're really onto something here keep going i also appreciate when someone goes hey you're out of this idea is not gonna work (laughs) please stop I, i i like to hear that as well i mean i might reject it out of hand but sure i still don't mind hearing it uh, but um being being in there on my being in there on my own i don't know i could i had all these these things i used to do when i bought my first four track years and years ago in 1977 when they first became available for dom- in australia anyway you couldn't get a domestic tape machine you could overdub on until about 1977 tiak made this reel-to-reel tape machine and i bought it and that and then 
I just sat around playing around with it and I sort of, I built up my kind of catalogue of tricks of things that worked out that would be very hard. Like before that, when people's only exposure to a, a tape recorder where you could overdub was in a recording studio and you're an inexperienced musician and you go in and you go, can I do this? And the engineer goes, no, you can't, no tracks for that. We're not doing that. And you just sort of, uh, it takes it. But I was really lucky that the circumstances were that this machine became available in 1977. I bought one of the first ones that came into Australia. And then I spent like three or four years sitting with it in a bedroom, figuring out how to make things work. You know, like mm -hmm. how it could be done with well, the kind of the kind of ideas that sort of paid off and approaches to creativity and all of this stuff. So I that's when I went into the recording studio for the first time to make a real record, and there was an engineer and all that. And I would say, "Can I do this?" And a guy go, "No." I go, "Yes, I am going to do that. And <laughs> yes. This is how I want. This is what I, how I want you to do it." If you couldn't speak their their ling their lingo, if you if you just had this vague thing, oh, "I want to do this," you'll never get it. But when mm. you could actually say to them. You've got to turn this down and turn that up and switch that off and move that around. And then, then you know, so I was lucky that I had that. Anyway, that helped with this, rec with this record. A lot of that old sort of me came back when I was forced to be alone and working on it. So um, it is, it's the opposite of the live record idea. It's a very layered mm. um, kind of lots of levels and lots of things going on that, people say reveal themselves to you over repeated listens mm -hmm. that you yeah. don't notice it at first i really like that i love that idea of embedded like when you see a movie and you mm -hmm. see this movie and you really like it and then you see it the second time you realize there were things in there you couldn't have possibly got the first time and right. you know it keeps revealing pieces of art that go on revealing layers of ideas and meanings and suggestions i think that's really important Sorry, I was, I was just going to jump in real quick, checks and say, it's funny that it was a TAC reel-to-reel because I had a TAC double cassette as part of my stereo system in 1988 upon which I listened to Starfish on repeat a, a lot. So there's a TAC connection there. But uh, but we are children of the MTV generation there, Steve. And, and that's how we found you, really, was seeing Metropolis and Reptile and Milky Way on 120 Minutes and on MTV. What did you feel about being on Tim MTV at that time? Were you psyched, like, hey, this will help us find a new audience? Or were you like, uh, this is just another nonsense? <laughs> Um, look, once again, I'm I'm really I'm really conflicted. I think I I myself behaved really badly <laughs> when I actually got a chance to be on those shows. I behaved like a real idiot, sort of like this really stupid act of oh, I'm so cool. <laughs> you know, and the guy be whoever that weird guy they had who was I think he sort of had an English accent. But it was a strange, you know the guy I mean? Oh, God, he, there, there was, was a couple of guys. Dave, um, Dave, Dave. He was a really nice guy, but he, but he was always, whoever he had on, he, 
he was sort of squirming because <laughs> you know he th- he thought they were so they were so cool and they were usually acting like they were so cool so he'd go hey guys tell us about your new video it looks really great where did you shoot it and the bands be like um, so, uh, <laughs> um you know like i saw susie and the banshees were really good at doing this kind of thing so were the fall i saw them on yes susie and the banshees were on this australian tv show and the guy's like so susie how'd you like australia you've been down the beach yet and her and a band looking at each other going oh you know what i mean like <laughs> They're still going, oh, we're so fucking cool. We can't even answer or talk. We shouldn't yeah. even be on this show. There's been some terrible mistake. That's how I was when I got on that show. <laughs> Instead of being like going, okay, well, I'm just going to, like I sort of am now, I'm just going to talk to you like a regular person. Yes. You know, it's like, the, but, but we had, and the band had this kind of this facade of, oh, we're so cool and and European and sort of <laughs> noir. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I can't possibly answer any of your questions. And just making an ass of yourself. <laughs> it's like, and really one day I went on a TV show in Australia and I was doing all that shit and they had an ad break and the guy grabbed me and he was right up in my face. And I was only a pretty young guy then. And he was like an older guy in his 30s. Oh. And he had all the makeup. <laughs> All the makeup was powdered on his face really thick and he was sweating through the makeup Ugh. and he was furious and he grabbed me and he said, if you weren't going to fucking talk, why did you fucking come on here? <laughs> and you know what? It was a good question. Fair question. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Uh, okay. Back to the other part of your question. How did I feel about my videos being on those shows? Uh, it's more of a, I loved my videos being on there. Getting control of your videos in those days was very, very hard. Mm. And just because you might be a bit of a whiz in the studio and you could talk, the, you could converse with an engineer, when you came across your film director and he went, you're doing this video and you're going to dress up in a banana suit <laughs> and get up at 3 a.m. and ride around on a truck, you go... Oh, yeah, but, and he'd go, no, but you don't understand. You've got to trust me. I'm going to make you look so good. And you'll be like, yeah, yeah. And then they go, and then the, if you kept on complaining or causing trouble, and this guy had been selected by your record company, because after all, some of these videos were $150,000, and wow. we're talking 1980s. Right. Can you imagine what that translates? The amount of money they were coughing mm. up for one video they didn't want people rocking the boat. Sure. And if you if you argued with them or were, were uncooperative, they would make a call and then the guy from the record company would go, hey, uh, you know, can you try and fucking fall in line and do this? Because, you know, there's a lot riding on this and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So they'd lean on you and you'd trust them and you didn't always know what you were going to get. We were those ones you mentioned. I was reasonably happy with those. I thought Milky Way was okay. You know, the stuff, the extraneous stuff had nothing. It was a, one guy's interpretation. I like the the eye and the egg when the woman breaks the egg open is an eye. I like the boxer, like mm. the tired old boxer that's had one too many slugs. Mm-hmm. The girl walking around with a picture frame is all right. I didn't mind that. I thought I thought as videos went, they were okay. I wasn't I wasn't ashamed. There were some real shockers back in those days that, mm-hmm. like, you'd see these videos and go, "Oh no!" 
how did they how did they get them to do that why um so, circuses and elephants yeah right? <laughs> And the way they all, the way they would all copy each other. So there was a real thing. There was a guy. I think he did the video for Vienna by Ultravox, and he started. And then all these videos would always be this thing. The hero would be having some sort of sort of breakdown or panic or trouble, usually with a beautiful woman in some exotic location. And suddenly, the rest of the band would appear as <laughs> 1920s photographers with cameras, and they'd go snap, snap, snap snap and then from on the screen flash momentarily would be the picture of the guy cringing down of the lead singer while the members of the band take his picture there was a lot of that everybody had that in their video gotcha so with with that in mind the the new video for for the uh the title track did you have input in that yes i did okay because that is really cool amazingly that video cost five thousand australian dollars which works out about about three thousand american dollars and yet it looks like the same quality those guys used to charge a hundred and fifty thousand for yeah it's it's and i don't know maybe it's the advent the advent of computer editing and stuff that's made this all possible or just the general like just all the general stuff i guess what you can do with a computer and not using film and Mm -hmm. all the stuff that came with real film or or However, it used to be, I guess there's been this some kind of revolution, and now you can get really good, high quality videos at a much inc- an incredible rate. Yeah, so um, well, I kind of I kind of talked to him a lot about what I wanted, and I told him the story, and I said, if you want to take this one on, you know, sometimes you let sometimes you let the video makers do whatever they want because you don't really know what what you want. But with this one, I really totally knew what what was supposed to be happening, which I let him interpret it. But I told him what was happening in the song and he came up with a really nice interpretation. And then at every stage of the process, he was showing me pictures of the people he was hiring. He was like, do you want this guy? Do you want this woman? And um, he was showing me the sets and he would run things by me. And we I, I, I really hassled him a lot too, a lot, probably a lot more. But I, I told him, I said, if we're going to do this one, you're really going to have to uh, run everything by me because I have to I have to go back and sell this to the band. The band, it took a while to sell everybody the concept of the hypnagogue and what it was. And not everybody thought that, not everybody thinks that's such a great idea. So <laughs> this guy was well, my first sort of chance to explain in a video, in a nutshell, sort of what the general idea behind the hypnagogue was. And, and for me, it personally it, it it helped me out a lot to to see where you were going with this because you know as as mac mentioned i mean we are mtv children and so we're used to having a video go along and help you out and to visually represent what the song is doing i think it goes together really well and you've got the oh, you've got the new stuff and the the old like analog stuff that go together it's kind of got a blade runner ish feel to it very cool now i stand empty handed at the threshold of silence, the end of the fall. 
always liked that idea, the um the sort of the future that's it's a kind of a broken down future where they can't get mm. the spare parts and mm. everything's running out and everything's running low and yeah. And the hypnagogues were put together from bits and pieces of all kinds mm. of things. I really wanted that idea. Yeah. I think he did. Look, I, I think he, look, the guy is a professor, I believe, at a Queensland film school. Okay. I believe he's one of the leading lights there. And because of that, he gets to, I think he can use good equipment and gets a bit of time because his sets and stuff. He's done a lot of videos for me over the, over the years. He is the guy I always go to. He did a set for this other project and it was this, it was this woman inside a house being trapped and then she sort of breaks out of the house and she's in, suddenly she's in a forest sleeping on a log over a river. And he makes them look like, like, as I say, in 1990, you'd be looking at if if you saw someone had that, if you went, that's Tears for Fears latest video, mm-hmm. you go, oh, yeah, you know, that was, that's the $200,000 there. So strangely enough, there's been a sort of a in, a, in a weird way, there's been a revolution in the music business where, you know, originally this guy found me, I was working with another guy making records and this guy we had this service where we would provide a song for a video sorry we would provide a song for people to their specifications so if you came to us and said i want you to write a song my uncle john's having his birthday i want a song about him he's a great guy he loves playing golf we'd write a song happy you know uncle john playing golf all day long (laughs) and Anyway, this guy wrote to us and said, I've made this video, but I don't have any music for it. Can you write me a piece of music to go with this video? And there's this beautiful video he's made of this strange little man walking along through the countryside. And he keeps picking up pictures and it's me and the other guy. And then the pictures crumble and fall away. And he walks, as he's walking along, he comes into all these strange adventures. And we set it to music and it, it looked beautiful. And I think this was, that's when he, this guy came to my attention. That must, he must have been pretty young then. Anyway, now he's this, he can, well, he just makes beautiful videos for an extraordinarily small amount of money, you know. Impressive. So, well, what, look, whether it's the 26th yeah. record or the 36th record, the Hypnagogue is a, a fantastic addition to your catalog. You, you speak about the future. Steve, what is the future of the church beyond 2023? Uh, well, I know I don't. I mean, I could, you know, one side of me goes, onwards and upwards, more records, more tours. <laughs> and then the other side's going, well, I'm getting pretty old. <laughs> I don't. Uh, no, I don't know how much longer I, I can keep doing it, or, or how much longer I want to do it. You know, like I think yeah. I'm not. So I'm not sure. I would really like with a bunch of players I've got right now, and the external people working in my orbit, like that filmmaker, mm-hmm. like the guy who does our designs, our CDs, and our posters, and and the lady who does the collages for the covers. And with the players I have in the band and with engineers and studios I know are available, I would really like to make one more album and just give it everything I have that I've, over the last 43 years, since I first went into the studio in 1980, a 24-track studio, everything that I've picked up and learned and observed and every everything, I would like to have that one last crack at making that beautiful album topping the hypnagogue and getting unanimously good reviews and making everybody happy and sort of going that's that and then leaving it 
I think that that would be that would be a, a good thing to do. I I don't think touring into my seventies is that great an idea. It's a tall order, no, and I that's an amazing idea, and I sincerely hope that you absolutely do that the next couple of years here. I hope if I do, I hope you like it and go. That's this is the album he told us that we were gonna do, he was gonna do. <laughs> well, you we just make sure once that. you do it, you come back on the show and you talk to us about it. All right, absolutely, yeah. always, always. Whenever you need me, if you're doing a special on T Rex or um, something like that, or a special subject where you want different people chiming in, I'm available for that. I'm I'm a very opinionated bastard, as you can see. <laughs> yeah. so I've always got something to say. Yes, we, we love that. And we've got a sideshow <laughs> called First Concert Memories where people talk about the first time they saw a band and it really changed their lives. And sounds like oh, you might be great for that, my friend. Oh, I'm a candidate. I had a, I, I saw this band. They were the best. They became a famous international. They were in Australia called the Easy Beats. Oh, and okay. I that, was, uh, that was George Young, right? George Young yeah, from George ACDC, Young, yeah. of ACDC yeah. family. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was 11 years old. I saw this band. They were part of a package tour. My dad dropped me off. I went in. I sat there among all these prepubescent girls who were having orgasms and stuff. <laughs> and just when I saw, when I saw what electric guitars looked like, how outrageous these fucking beautifully colored electronic things these guys the sheer the sound of the bass that hit you in the stomach i wasn't expecting that mm. i on my record player there was no bass you might as well not have suddenly in this room when you the bass is going boom 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 and the drums the color of the drums and the sound and the sparkle and the volume and the the antics and the lights and oh my god it was like it was enough to keep me thinking for the rest of my life you know you walk <laughs> out of there going yeah, it was just and and the guys performing were only three or four years older than me. The guys in the Easy Beats, I I was like eleven, and the and the lead singer of the Easy Beats called Little Stevie. He was only sixteen. Yeah, when wow. he was up there, and he was so fucking exciting. He was so <laughs> urgent. Do you know what I mean? You remember yeah. how Mick Jagger had a thing that. Whatever he was doing, this was so important, urgent. This guy had it in spades, and it was everything he did. It was just he was a blur of motion and dancing and pointing and jumping and yeah. So my first experience was a really good one, like just like mind blowing. I saw the best band in Australia at that time, yeah. And I was twelve or eleven, eleven years old, and I was just like, it was just shockingly good. Amazing. I tell you. We'll book that for 2024, no doubt. Okay. Brilliant. Steve, thank you so much for your time and your stories. And hey, have fun on the road. We can't wait to see you okay. in the next couple of weeks. Thanks very much, guys. Before before we go, let me just say that hat is really cool. That's a rock star hat. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. See you later, guys. Be safe. We'll see you. Thank you. Should have stopped this long ago. Hi, this is Steve Kilby from The Church, and you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Once again, Jackson, people who well, say, don't meet your heroes. Uh-huh. Nope. They're not always right about that, man. Not even close. I mean, I, I was, I'm not going to lie to you. I was a little nervous going into this because, uh, I, I, I mean, I didn't, I'd never seen really too many interviews with him, but right. I mean, couldn't have been nicer. Couldn't have been more engaging and, and genuine with his answers. Yeah. I'm like, I'm tingly here. I got like goosebumps. That was awesome. I know. He's it, not always just kind of dressing it up like, okay, well, here's the, here's the safe answer that'll be fed. No, he's like, no, this is how I feel about it. And well, I knew he was talking about unguarded moment. The Australians, mm-hmm. the, the, the reverence they have for that song is crazy. And he's like, fuck that. I've written so many other songs and I was better at songwriting. I was better at singing. I was better at playing, you know, don't get caught up on that. You know, you damn Aussies, but you know, it's, it was like Eurovision. Play ya ya ding dong. He yeah. literally had people come backstage, like get back out there and play unguarded. <laughs> You're not done yet. Wow. Yeah, and and the whole thing too about how you know he looking back on those 120 minutes and thinking like what a jerk I was. Like I was trying to be all cool and you know whatever, man. I don't care. And you know you wish you could go back and grab you know as you now and grab yeah. that person and be like stop it. Don't just, you know, tell them, be a genuine person. Don't try and be a, don't try and be a, someone you think is, is what they want to see. Well, I know. Yeah. Like go back to teenage you, like that girl likes you. Stop trying to be cool and right. just be nice to her stupid, right. you know, or don't wear that stupid shirt. It's not cool. No matter what you think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, yeah. I mean, I, we definitely want people as this comes out, there'll still be plenty of great dates uh, left to see the church. And I want to read them out here uh, because this is going to come out on October the 12th and and on October the 12th they're playing State College Pennsylvania and then on the 13th is when I get to see them at the Madison Theater in uh in Covington Kentucky which is basically Cincinnati Covington uh, Kentucky on the 13th and they go to Atlanta Birmingham Alabama Ponte Vedra on the 17th of October you better be there Jackson then Orlando Clearwater two nights in Fort Lauderdale uh, Pensacola so a lot of touring in the state of Florida going to New Orleans the 24th of October down to Austin for the Levitation Festival Houston Dallas Oklahoma City and then a couple nights 
in Evanston, Illinois on the Halloween and on the 1st of November for you Chicago fans out there. So go support the church, get the hypnagogue, go to the show and get the new super extra deluxe hypnagogue. I know I am and enjoy. I mean, I think they play like 26 songs spanning 43 years. You know, they do a couple sets. They are going to play unguarded moment. It looks like much to Steve chagrin, but, uh, I'm pretty psyched about it. I was going to say, whatever happens, folks, don't go backstage and threaten people. If he <laughs> plays it, he plays And if he doesn't, that's okay, too. Exactly. Goodness. <laughs> that's, that's a great 150th show, Jackson. Congratulations to you for 150 shows. I, I was, yeah, and same to you. I mean, I can't believe it's been 150. It's gone by so fast. And and just to have somebody so, so cool and so genuine to, uh, to share that with, that's awesome. And somebody who... It was important to me as a teenager. Like he wrote these songs that I was like, yeah, I'm not just part of the pop scene. I like mm-hmm. bands that not everyone, they're hard to find that not everybody knows about, you know? And then we listened to that together in college, you know, in mm-hmm. the car on cassette. I got him to autograph it when I saw him play with the Furs, you know, a few years back, you know? So yeah, it's fun to talk to folks who love rock and roll, especially those folks who really, really know how to make it. And, and, and to get to talk to him, to bring him back for the first concert memories, to get to, for him to talk as not just a musician, but a fan. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, that's going to be awesome. Might, might be hard to find the set list for that show. Well, I mean, I, even if you did, I mean, I couldn't relate anyway. So <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right. it's not like, well, I remember when I saw the Easy Beats and I've never seen them. So right. just, we'll just let him talk. We will book that. Cool. Hopefully you can hear in our voices how much fun we had talking to Steve Kilby, the founder, lead singer, bass player, keyboard player, lead songwriter, composer, arranger, producer of the church. We had so much fun talking with him. So glad that he's still doing it, still making great music and is on the road. I really encourage everybody out there, all those cities and those dates that I mentioned at the end there, go check out the church. It won't break the bank. You'll be treated to a lot of music and a really fine show. Not to mention you can get the super uber deluxe version of the Hypnogog there on CD. And I know I'm going to do that, but explore their whole catalog. I mean, further deeper, I think was the album that came out when I saw them with the furs those years back. And it's got a song on there, delirious that I think is as good as anything in their catalog. You know, so it's not like he's ever lost a step. Some lineup changes over the years. It doesn't matter. Steve is a hilarious guy, a very talented man, great singer, great songwriter, and still out there doing it, keeping the rock alive, just like all of us are trying to do. Go to thechurchband.net to see where they're going, to pick up their merch, to pick up their records, to learn more about the band. And as usual, folks, we want to know, do we get something right? Do we get something wrong? Do we miss the point? Do we leave out your favorite part? You have to let us know. Email us. It's UglyAmericanWerewolf at gmail.com. Tell us the band's the albums, the concerts, the DVDs, the books, the tours, the stuff you want to hear us talk about. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for helping us get to 150 episodes. We've got thousands in us, guys. We just need a little time to get them all out. And without your support, it would be impossible. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for following us on Twitter and 
Instagram and threads and YouTube and Facebook and for downloading and subscribing wherever you get your podcast. If you're thinking about it, guys, hey, put in a good word for us. Write a positive review wherever you get your shows. It's huge for us. It helps us get more guests like Steve Kilby on the show and just helps grow the show, helps us find more rock and rollers like you. Thanks, as always, to Pantheon Pods. And thanks to our sponsor, RareVinyl.com. Use that code UGLY. Save 10%, whether you're buying church LPs, Steve Kilby records, or anything that you find and fall in love with. Save 10% at RareVinyl.com by using code UGLY. Next week, it'll be our 151st show. I think it's just going to be me and Jackson again reviewing an album that we love. So you have to tune in. But until next time, to all you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and keep doing what you do to keep rock alive. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions, and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at IntoHistory.com.